This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Hello. We're here. Hi. What is happening right now for your listeners? You're sitting next to me. I am sitting next to her. Guys, this is the first time we have ever been able to record one of our podcast episodes together in person. This is a huge deal. It's a big deal. And if you are watching this, um, we got a fire and ice thing going on. Right? (laughs) This was unintentional, by the way, but this was like, how did we do this? My clothes were not chosen with her in mind. We got ready completely separately. My shirt is matching my hair. We've got this like orangey like thing going on. And my eyeshadow is like yellow and orange. And I got some blue going on. So Jamie's blue, 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 blue. This ice thing. And for any of our listeners that are like fire, did you guys, I know CA's not a Game of Thrones people. Everyone throw shade. She doesn't watch. (laughs) I'm not anti Game of Thrones. I just never watched it. And now at this point, I'm like, I don't have 5,000 hours to to do it. I just don't. Because Game of Thrones, how many hours? You guys can tell us later, but how many hours do you think we've spent watching that show if we're if we're devoted watchers? Okay, um, but the new one, the House of House of Dragon. Oh my God, I'm gonna butcher it. Um, that one is what Fire and Blood. So your blood, your blood, it it tracks. Okay, it matches. Oh, that's that's scary. Okay, so yay, we brought. We're probably going to radiate a little bit of a different energy because we got the fullness of each other right next to each other. So, mm-hmm. oh, I am so excited. All right, so what? This is gonna be good. This one is we tried to kind of save a really good episode mm-hmm. for us being in person, but what do we want to cover? Where where do we want to go right away? There's so much we can cover on I this know. topic. But. Okay. Yeah. So this, this topic is going to be dealing with – how do we even word it? I know. We were like going into this. There's a couple of different ways people say this. So – a lot of the times in the healing circles, you'll hear you'll hear hurt people hurt people, mm-hmm. right? Um, you might have heard me on some of our channels talk about you know that trauma can beget toxicity, and so many people are like, "Why are all these toxic people finding me?" And the thing about it is that many of us carry our traumas around, and they're unprocessed traumas, and they are un you know examined traumas, right? And so that kind of can turn into something that really looks harmful in relationships. It can look harmful towards ourselves. And so we're examining in this episode, do hurt people hurt people? And where is that correct? And where can we expand on that? Mm -hmm. Basically, we're expanding on this thought that trauma genuinely can be connected to toxic traits or toxic dynamics 
And that's not the end of the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I have classically pushed back against this phrase really hard in my life and in my social media accounts. Like, there's probably lots of videos about me, like, actually very specifically trying to debunk this and be like, this is actually a phrase that gets under my skin because I think as a person who is, like, on the healing side of my journey, I have tried to advocate for the side of where we're going with this about where where it's not the end of the story to where I want it almost to skip over the first part, which is the ownership and acknowledgement that your trauma and your unexamined wounds cause you to hurt other people with your words and actions. I almost want to skip over that part as a person who's been like a recipient of that type of wounding. And then, so I'm a person who carries a lot of trauma. And then like, so in my life, I am doing the cycle breaking thing and being like, I don't want to be that person. Like, I don't want to hurt other people. I, and, and so I have worked super hard to like show up to my relationships in a certain way and treat my kids a certain way and treat my partner a certain way and like all of that. And so I am a person who like, I'll, when I've heard, oh, hurt people, hurt people, it's always the reason I push back against it so hard is because to me, it has always come off as an excuse as like, oh, you just got to get over it. You just got to forgive them Mm. because they had such a hard past or whatever. And I've always been like, so did I. Right. And so like, and that is where I've been like, you want to go? Like you want to throw down? Because I'm like, no, I also am a person who showed up to my life with so much pain and so much trauma. And yet here I am figuring out a way to not treat people like garbage. And so, no, you don't get to sit there and tell me that you're allowed to treat me that way Mm. because, oh, you weren't loved as a child or, oh, you were mistreated in this way or the other way. So that's kind of been like my like yeah. default angle on this topic and something that has been interesting for me is to in conversations that you and I have had and in just my own like education on these sorts of issues gently without shame with a whole lot of courage and patience go back to that step that I was skipping over right And saying, all right, let's hold some space for where this phrase came from. Yeah. And is there actually truth to it? And let's go ahead and take a look at it because maybe there is something to it. Yeah. I mean, think about if I say, okay, well, trauma begets toxicity. And like whatever we end up naming this episode, yes, we don't always have them named right away. (laughs) So whatever we name this episode, um, when we're examining like, trauma begetting a toxic expression of the way you show up to life. If we're going to hold that as like completely true right now without like, you know, just letting that be true right now. What CA and many people who've endured like the brunt of the trauma are going to say is like, okay, well, even if that's true, like if you end there, it genuinely comes off as an excuse. If I just say, well, I had a hard childhood. It's just coming off as an excuse because I ended there. I just said, yeah, I was traumatized too. And so if I have to, you know, cry it out in my bedroom, my kid has to do it too. And it looks like this excuse to just never shift mindsets. 
Like you genuinely are never shifting mindsets. And then, so me and CA were talking about this and um, you guys are going to hear a little bit more of the model. So I'm, I'm starting to introduce this model that I'm introducing to my clients. Um, you guys are going to see it in the book. CA is going to get certified in it and stuff. So it's called the Oasis model. And one of the first steps of the model is actually the first step, the first step, <laughs> the first step of the model is self-ownership. And that's what the O stands for is ownership. And this is where when we sat down and was trying, we were trying to think about how do we want to walk the listener through understanding this very nuanced issue in trauma. It's that when you cannot own how your trauma brain informed your expression of self, the way you related to people, things that integrated into your personality, choices, pausing, choices that you made. When you can't own that some of those things were motivated, informed, influenced from a place of trauma, and you then maybe arrive to some slight awareness. Oh, so you mean to tell me the reason I was so reactive when I was like, you know, raising my young kids was that? Oh, it was trauma? Oh, okay. So shrugs. Mm -hmm. That was my trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where people who endured it, like the children of the experience, this is where the adult children come in. Like if my parent got to a full awareness that, so you mean to tell me when I did that to you guys when you were kids, you were genuinely getting traumatized? And I sit there and I go, oh, shrugs, because like I didn't, that was just my trauma too. Mm -hmm. Shrugs. It's Mm -hmm. like, not only is it invalidating, but it genuinely like CA, how she articulated that, it's visceral response to like, Mm -hmm. you are now not only like, you're growing in awareness of the trauma that you had in your own body and the trauma that you inflicted, yet you're stopping there. You're genuinely not like bringing this to a full accountability. And so I'm circling back to ownership because now this is what this would look like. It would look like, so I'm just going to model this for you guys. It's going to look like, CA, when I lied to you and I told you that I wasn't able to come to your party and like the reason why was because I was genuinely like really dealing with the trauma trigger. Like I was realizing that, you know, the people that were coming to that party, I was really, really overwhelmed and that was my trauma, right? And I also lied to you, okay? But if I stopped there and I said, so that was my trauma trigger and that's why I lied to you and shrugs, right? It's like, well, first of all, I'm not acknowledging that I harmed the trust in the relationship. I'm not actually acknowledging the full spectrum of how that trauma showed up in my relationship. So can she validly hold that that could have been informed? That lie could have been informed from a place of trauma. Yes. If she loves me, she can sit there and say, you know what, Jamie, I know you really well. And I actually could understand maybe to some degree why your brain would have like problem solved and like said the lie was like the only thing you could do. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the same time though, if I stop there and say, so that was my trauma trigger and like I lied and like I get it. Like that was – that probably sucked but like oh well. Like it looks like an excuse. Mm -hmm. It genuinely just looks like I'm just saying, well – 
this is the type of friend you get. You're going to get a traumatized friend with a traumatized brain, and I might lie to you sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so you're sitting there and you're like, okay, so how do I know when I'm getting the friend that like is lying to me and when I'm getting the friend that's like actually doing her work and like not going to lie to me, right? And so it creates a lot of dissonance when I use that as an excuse. Well, and what it also ends up doing is like putting a lot of work on the recipient. Like they now have to hold your emotions for you in a sense and like hold space for your pain in that interaction. But then there's no space for my pain in that interaction. So when you come at me with, oh, the reason I did that is because blank and blank, here's my trauma. That's why I treated you the way that I did. This is what often happens in relationship dynamics, especially if there is like an element of like love and like actual, like you really care about this person. Oftentimes the recipient of that trauma informed behavior that hurt me, I'm going to sit there and I am going to hold space for you. And I'm going to go, okay, like, thanks for sharing that with me. Like I, I understand now. And then like, I might walk away from that exchange still feeling like weird and hurt and like there's a heaviness on me now because now I'm sitting there going was I wrong for Mm. being upset and hurt by that lie and by that betrayal I guess that I guess I shouldn't have felt that way like see how much pain she was in and see how hard this situation is for her like I shouldn't be mad at her. Like, I shouldn't be upset. Like, I I overreacted. And now it's like I have this huge emotional burden and I am processing her pain for her. Mm. And my pain has nowhere to go. It goes unacknowledged. It goes completely, totally it, – it's just – It's a just, bypass. It's like, totally bypass. You know how we talk about on earlier or episodes that we talk about bypassing? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about when you are trying to do the very hard work of like navigating through trauma processing, especially when you're in a relationship. It can look incredibly confusing for someone who's like trying to hold space because if you sit there and you genuinely love me and you're like, oh my God, Jamie, so so now I know that maybe sometimes when you're panicking, you might end up lying. Okay, so it doesn't mean that I never trust you. It's just that I want to be there for you and understand. And here we go. And I still lied. I still lied. It came from a place of trauma and I still lied. So the reason why I'm walking everyone through this is because we are now trying to hold very painful truths of how our trauma impacts others. Mm -hmm. So we can validate that and say, wait a second, I'm taking a moment and I'm acknowledging that that lie wasn't okay. So I'm going to tell you I lied. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge step, by the way. First and foremost, the fact that you can do that, that's a good step in your healing. So if I can hold myself accountable to, to just acknowledging I lied. Yes, I lied. Right. If the next thing out of my mouth is like shrugs, it's my trauma. I can explain it's my trauma while trying to express that I am deeply working on that immediate urge to lie to my loved ones. So for example, I can say, yes, this is my trauma. I'm very aware that when I get very panicky, I might like just out of sheer reaction, just like literally make up a lie. Mm. Okay. Mm. I'm noticing that about myself. I'm becoming more and more aware. And then here's the level of accountability. Here's the ownership in the trauma processing. I'm saying, and 
I need you to understand that I don't think like I don't take lying lightly and I know it has implications and I know there's like pain that can happen Mm -hmm. when I show up to our relationship in an untruthful way. And so what that person's doing is they're owning the full spectrum of how that trauma-informed behavior impacted that dynamic. So do you hear how it's not so much as an excuse as it's a full understanding? Mm -hmm. And so this is where that dynamic comes in, the back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. So CA now is like, okay, so now that she said that, it's It's now that phrasing itself by you acknowledging that you not not only like owning up to like, oh, I did lie and oh well, but like taking that next step and saying, I lied and I see that that is not a behavior that is good for our relationship. It's not a behavior that I want to continue doing and I'm working on it. By you saying that, now it actually did open up the space for my pain to have a place to go. So now I can be like, thank you for acknowledging that that was like upsetting for me. And like, I, you know, it really took me off guard and, you know, and now I actually have a place to be able to say those things to you. Like, I want to continue being able to trust you. Right. It's important that you share these things with me. So that way we can continue to grow in the strength of our friendship. Right. You know, honesty is really important to me. And so, you know, thank you for telling me about the lie and thank you for telling me that you plan on working on it. Um, because I don't want to lose you as a friend. I want to continue having a strong relationship with you, you know? And so now there actually is space for both of our pain Mm. to be processed together. Right. I think this is where it's leading you through the natural flow of what this would look like truly examined. So if you think about me saying, I acknowledge that there's pain I have a place for you to like I will hold it and I and I actually invite you to hold it if you're able to, mm-hmm. right? And if you can acknowledge honestly Jamie you're right it it is hard when you lie to me. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're holding it and here's the kicker, right? If I look at you and I say I'm noticing the pattern that when I get very dysregulated, I might go into an immediate lie. Mm-hmm. And I look at you and I say because we talk constantly and, you know, I'm going to do my best to notice that, this is the tricky part of trauma healing, okay? It is incredibly important for you to notice the way your trauma is like holding patterns because if I keep coming to her, and this is why so many people are like, listen, I get it. You have a traumatized past and I know that it informs your behavior. And Please all hear this. You are allowed to create a line. CA is allowed to create a line. If I genuinely show up consistently and I haven't been able to develop the tools I need and I this we sit on this for a year and like maybe this conversation happens 10 more times, okay? And you're like, Jamie, literally like do you remember when you said you were there? Like, I know you weren't. Like, why do I have to catch you in this? And I look at her and I go, mm-hmm. we've talked about this, CA. You know this is my trauma and I'm working on it and I'm struggling. And you're mm-hmm. So if this is like genuinely the, the pattern of awareness, if you go back to our old episodes, go to stages and stuckness of healing, this is one of the stuck points. People can get stuck at awareness. Yeah. They can get – right? They can yeah. get stuck between mm-hmm. – where they're starting to actively shift the 
the behavior yes. and they're just their awareness of the behavior. So I'm aware I lie. Right. And I'm not actively engaging in new skill sets. So I mm. don't viscerally lie all the time. Right. So why I'm pointing this out is CA absolutely is valid in her ability to just sit with this for a second. And if it's the 10th time she's been lied to, mm-hmm. her saying to me, what, do, what would right. you say? I'm in this. Okay. So this is what's really, really interesting is what you're talking about is like almost like weaponized awareness. I don't know if this is a, I don't know if this is oh a hot gosh. take or not, but like if you've been in a relationship dynamic like this, either like a friendship or a partnership or parent to adult child relationship where like that person is at that stuck awareness stage and they are either incapable of or unwilling to start doing the actual like action steps of change, changing the behavior, truly over time, that awareness is going to start to feel weaponized against Mm. you. And you're going to sit there and go, how many more times am I going to excuse your behavior because of your vulnerability about the trauma that's informing the behavior? Like, I am a really patient person. I'm a really compassionate person. Like I have all the love in the world for people who are hurting. Like I get it. Like I understand that you're doing this from a place of trauma. But like where the script comes, like where this conversation plays out is if it gets to such a predictable pattern that I am consistently now exposing myself to pain that is starting to feel like really unfair for me to continue to have to endure that is where I might have to place certain boundaries and say things like, I understand, look, and I love you. And I, I, um, I hate that you're hurting. I hate that this happened, your past happened the way that it did, that it's causing this behavior in you. And it's not a behavior that I can expose myself to anymore. So I think like the way that our friendship looks is, is going to start to shift. Yes. I'm at a point now where I, I, I do enjoy spending time with you when you're around, but I really can't trust that you're going to show up anymore. And so, like, I don't know. I might stop making plans with you. I, I don't know. Like, if if, if you want to be there, like, you can be there, but I, I don't know if I'm going to rely on you anymore Okay, in and, certain ways. And this is what I want you guys to hear. This What we're talking about is safety because slowly when I show up to our relationship and I create opportunities – Yes, even if it's informed from my trauma brain, I create opportunities for her to be like, you know, she lies all the time. So like when she tells me she's not going to say something in confidence, like, is that true? Or when she says that she's going to show up for me when I really need her, is she actually going to, right? And so now it's actually creating this like very unstable foundation for the for the friendship. And, and remember, this can be like an intimate partnership too. Actually, I think it happens very commonly in intimate partnerships, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you think about like the safety that is necessary for a relationship to be very healthy, that's genuinely the thing that's getting disrupted is like CA is looking at me and she's like, to be fair, I love you and I know you have that past and I know that like I'm not perfect either and I don't know if this friendship feels like stable. Like it doesn't feel safe (laughs) to invest that. And most of the time we don't want to have that radical honesty moment with our friends. We let it like what, like a lot of the times it's going to, in practicality, this is probably going to look like a slow 
fade out, yeah. mm-hmm. a fizzle out. It'll probably look like, yeah, like we're, you know, I've just been busy or something mm-hmm. like, you know, just a slow distancing. But when, you know, this is one of the things that both CA and I are working on, but like when you call yourself to radical self-honesty, not only are you doing it internally, but you're trying to honestly like do that similar behavior outside of yourself. So it's like radical self-honesty, but then it's like radical authenticity externally, Mm. which would mean something like CA coming to me and saying, I don't know if this friendship is like safe. Yeah. Right? And that – it's tough. Right. And this is one of the things we touched on in a previous episode of like which relationships are worth investing that super like authentic, honest assessment with, right? And it it might not be all relationships. Like I'm not going to sit here and even disparage like the slow fizzle out thing because I think in some cases it's the right choice. Honestly, in some cases that is like just the healthiest correct choice. But in other cases, if there's a relationship that actually is like super meaningful to you that you would rather not just like (laughs) – ghost and and fizzle out on like it does take that moment of like super brave radical honesty of like hey I need you to know that like the reason we're not talking as much anymore is because that pattern of your behavior became really disruptive to my ability to trust you right and here's a here's a kicker ready if it is weaponized awareness what that person is doing is they're using awareness when it's convenient to them but not when it needs to be like mutual, like present in a mutual mm-hmm. sense. So what I mean by that is if I'm aware of my trauma and then she has this conversation like, Jamie, I don't know if this feels safe. Like this is the 10th time I've caught this dynamic in a lie. And I look at her and I say, well, you know, I've explained this and mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm basically ignoring, I'm not mm-hmm. doing the awareness step that needs to be there. I'm not Here's the level of ownership and accountability. I'm not owning that 10 lies has an impact on you. Mm -hmm. That is what I'm not owning. Right. And so if I can sit here and just be like, I I lied to you 10 times since we had this conversation. Mm -hmm. Oh, Wellesley. Oh, Wellesley. Oh, Wellesley. Everyone. (laughs) You all know that we do that. (laughs) Oh, Wellesley. It's like, wait, now it's weaponized Mm -hmm. awareness because now Mm -hmm. I'm saying like, it's only – I only want to be aware when it's convenient to me. I don't want to be aware of your pain. Right. I don't want to be aware of how I've showed up to you. Mm-hmm. And so actually I think this is a good um, transition for you guys to hear this through the parent-child lens because this is, this is really tricky. <laughs> so the parent-child lens – and what I mean by that is if you're a parent or you have an, uh, you're, you have an older parent and you're an adult mm-hmm. child, you're an adult now, okay? Mm-hmm. This is where – when you see this dynamic with your parents and you're you are absolutely you are doing the thing you are working the work you are getting there you are showing up to your parents and you are saying can we hold space for some of this pain that is unprocessed can we acknowledge some of the things that have been going on in our dynamic and maybe they open the door maybe they're like yeah let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. like what happened when we you know when you were a little bit like teenage years or like whatever okay this is where it can get incredibly tricky because it takes two people being aware of keep this in mind you have to be aware of the context 
of the situation upon reflection. Okay. So if I'm going back and I'm like, mom, remember that time I was 12 and she was what? 32 or something, Mm -hmm. 35. Okay. Remember that time when I was 12 and you were mid thirties and you told me like, sorry, you missed the bus. Like you need to walk to school. And I look at my mom and I'm like, mom, like for 20 minutes while I was walking to school, I was genuinely terrified and I was panicking. Like Mm -hmm. I was absolutely distraught. This is why to this day I struggle with like walking anywhere because I absolutely was terrified and I felt incredibly distraught during Mm -hmm. that moment, right? So that's me like being aware of how that impacted me. And my mom might be like, okay. Um, but do you get it now that you're like 30? Do you get it now that it's not a big deal that you were just walking to school because we lived three miles away? Mm-hmm. And and if my mom does that, I would be like, well, I'm talking to you about the context of a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. So my brain logged it as a 12-year-old trauma. Right. A 12-year-old trauma. So yes, as a 30-something now, and she's 60 or 50-something, mm-hmm. whatever she is, she can be like, but do you get it now because you're 30 and you get your three right. miles Put away? Put yourself in my shoes. You hear it all the time. That's exactly it. Just, just think about what it was like for me. I had to go had to all these other kids. And then the laundry list of excuses. And this is where that like awareness, they're trying to get you to like relate to that level of awareness, like kind of like I was in pain too. Mm -hmm. I was raising kids. I had to go to work. I had to do this. I'm like, I'm not excusing your pain. And I get it. I'm a mom now too. I Mm -hmm. understand you were overwhelmed. I understand you had a lot going on. And I was 12 Mm -hmm. and I didn't have that information. So when I'm telling you, it really, really impacted me. And to this day, I struggle with walking anywhere I have to be driven or on a bus, like I can't be walking on side streets, you're sitting there and trying to justify that old neural pathway that got literally Mm -hmm. linked. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to justify that through like your own stuff. And so this is what I mean by two people are in pain. Yeah. And I have to allow both of those pains to be validated. But why do our parents push back on that? This is why is because this is the phrase you'll hear, what do you want me to do about it? It's like, what am I supposed to do about it? You were 12. It was a million years ago. Why are you bringing it up? Who cares? It's it's water under the bridge. And so I think there is, in that phrase, if we unpack that reaction, what they're saying is the lamp is smashed. Why are you making me look at it? I can't fix it you can't fix it. Like it's just, it's a smashed lamp. Great. Thanks for showing me the smashed lamp in the corner. Now what? Right. It's them being like, you're trying to hold me accountable. You're trying to make me fix something that can't be fixed. Like it's said and done. And now you're just making me sit here in this muck of, of crappy feelings. You're just guilty. You're trying to make me feel guilty for things that are in the past and there's nothing to be done about it at this point. So why are you even bringing it up? Right. And it's our parents saying, well, now that you're like 30, like I was, you would have wanted to smash that lamp too, right? And I would have been like, sure, in the context of that stress, yeah, maybe I would have wanted to smash the lamp. And 
there's implications because the lamp is already shattered. So when they say like, what do you want me to do about it? We can't fix it. Your neural pathway is already set. You developed that when you were 12 and now you're like, now you have this you're fear, double. Right? Yeah, yeah. Now mm-hmm. you have this fear and like, it's already done. And why are we talking about this? Right. And mm-hmm. so here's where me and CA kind of broke this down. It's like, we don't bring up these things to torture our loved ones. We don't bring it to our friends or our partner or our parents. We're not literally trying to inflict more pain on them. What we're trying to do is, first of all, by bringing it up, you're validating that it's actually painful to you. Okay. So if for so long, I was just mm-hmm. like, it's fine. It's okay that I don't like, I don't really get to walk anywhere. Like, I'll just deal with it. Right. It's not a big deal. I'll just get on the bus. I'll just get in the car and, you know, it's fine. I'll get over the fear, right? But if I just acknowledge like that fear came from a really, really deep place inside of me, I'm giving it a moment to become real. I'm give, I'm giving it a place in my processing, okay? That's huge. Just that alone, okay? And then people are like, well, then why do you have to shove the broken glass in your parents' face. Why do you have to bring the glass to them and say, the, the, the lamp is broken? <laughs> and this is where you get the responses from the parents. They say stuff like, why are you showing me this? Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about this? Mm-hmm. Why are we even going through this, right? And so when me and CA were talking about this, it's like, it's not about bringing the broken glass and saying, here, I'm dropping this right. in your mm-hmm. lamp or lamp. Yeah, I'm <laughs> dropping this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. dro- <laughs> this is live. Okay. I'm dropping this in your hands and I'm pushing this processing on you. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's not really what that that might be what it looks like at first glance. What we're really trying to do is we're trying to say, I'm bringing this lamp, this broken lamp up because I've seen the way our relationship has been impacted by the reason you broke the lamp in the first mm. place, not the actual lamp. Yeah, I'm not exactly. worried about the lamp. Exactly. I'm talking about what led the lamp to get thrown across the room mm-hmm. in the first place. So when you can get there, you're not talking about a surface level problem anymore. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a radical introspective skill that honestly maybe your parents or your partner or your friends don't have, right? Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they say, what's the point, right? And the Why? point is the reason we're bringing it up is because I'm right now using this example of the broken lamp. I'm showing you the lamp as just an example of this is what happens when this deeper thing that's in you continues to go unexamined. Right. Things like this. Here is an example. We understand the lamp itself is now broken and there's nothing we can do about that. But I'm bringing it up in order for you to maybe start that examination process so we don't break more lamps, right? So that, and and the many other ways that that has shown up. Like, the times and you didn't pick me up or the times and this, that, or the, like, I can sit here and give you a laundry list of all the ways that that particular unexamined wound in you has impacted my life and our relationship. That's why I'm bringing this example to light is so that you can examine the deeper 
things that are inside of you that inform that particular type of behavior. I'm bringing this up because I actually care about, I actually value this relationship enough Mm. to preserve what is good in our relationship. And in order to do that, both of us need to be honest and willing to look at the patterns behind some of the behaviors that we don't want to see showing up in this relationship. So, and the parent-child dynamic is, has some unique qualities to it that like friendships and partnerships don't because of what Jamie was saying, because of the fact that the entire foundation of that relationship was built during a time when there was such a massive disparity of maturity and responsibility and, and psychological development. Psychological like you genuinely development. didn't so like, have the tools when so you were a kid. Yeah. There for so many of these like wounds that were set into place during childhood. This is a hot take and you can freaking at me on this. I don't even care. But like honestly, like 99.9% of the onus of responsibility is on the parent during those times. I mean, I, I'm not saying that like kids are allowed to just like go Run absolute feral and have no, uh, you know, responsibilities at all. But when it comes to like relationship dynamics, mm. a child is not responsible to the parent. The child doesn't owe the parent things like, you know, like affection and love and, and whatever, what, 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 like we can do a deep dive on that another time. But like when we go back and we start examining things and examining trauma, examining patterns, and we're talking to our parents about these things, like there needs to be an understanding of I am talking to you from the point of view of I had an eight-year-old brain during this experience. So when I'm telling you that the things that you did to my eight-year-old self set me up in this way or the other way, the parent needs to be really, this is, I mean, it's hard. And and I am a parent and I, it's going to be hard when this happens, when my kids come to me and they can, with their, you know, now adult brains analyze their own lives and come to me and be like, Hey, these are some of the things that like hurt. And these are the ways that like I've struggled because of it. Like I'm not looking forward to it. Okay. As a parent, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, yay, I can't wait to find out all the ways that I screwed my kids up. Like, but I'm willing. And when those conversations happen, I am going to take into context that I was the adults, they were the childs. And I was unaware of the the fragility of the situation of how some of my actions and behaviors, even if it was what I thought I had to do at the time or all that I knew to do at the time, I'm going to be able to look at them and say, I hear you and I see this and I'm really sorry that that happened. And I would like to do whatever I can now to repair that. Like mm-hmm. how, how can I, how can I help? Right. You know, because it wasn't right of me to do those things. It wasn't okay for me to speak harshly to you. It wasn't okay for me to ignore that really important thing. I didn't, I didn't interpret it as important at the time, but I see now I hear you. Wow. That was really, really important to you. And I missed it. And I'm so sorry. You know, like it takes a lot. It takes a lot to be able to sit there and hold space for pain that you caused. Oh, yeah. I think if we look at one of the most dangerous 
attributes you could have endure in your personality, it would be the attribute that you don't affect people. I've hurt people. I've hurt my friends. I've hurt my husband. I've hurt my family. Like these are real things. My trauma has genuinely hurt people. And if I can sit there and just say, but it was trauma and it was my mental health stuff and my mental, you know, all of the things that I was battling for years and like you can't look at me and judge me for that. And I'm like, well, first of all, let's just take judgment off the table. Just understand we don't have the luxury to sit here and say we don't affect other people. We affect other people. And I don't mean in a way of like people pleasing everyone now. Like right. remember, this is right. not an all or nothing podcast. So you're going to actually take an accountability and be like, okay, this might affect other people. And I genuinely have to protect myself. Like CA mm -hmm. talking about the thing before. Like if she knows that when she says, Jamie, I have to distance myself from our friendship, she knows that it's going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And she's doing this because she has to protect herself. She genuinely doesn't feel safe in the dynamic anymore. Mm -hmm. And she has to step back. Okay, right. so this is where we have to become – this is that model. We'll eventually do maybe an episode on the model, but this is that model. You have to have ownership, but you have to be like sovereign over the energy. You have to actually be aligned with the decisions that you're making. It's not just like things that are happening to you. So for example, mm -hmm. like CA looking at me and saying, okay, if she – can embody that she does affect other people. She's going to weigh that with her own like safety mm -hmm. and her own ability to protect her mental energy and her, you know, psychological soundness, right? Mm -hmm. So when she knows that she's going to distance herself from the friendship, she's taking that into account. And that takes a lot of conviction within the self. You have to be like, I truly know that the best thing for me to do, even though this is going to have implications and it possibly is going to break Jamie's heart, the best thing for me to do is use that discretion that I've walked myself through. And I have sat with it. You're not just impulsively breaking down these things, okay? And you, with conviction, say, yes, it's going to have ripple effects. Yes, it's going to cause a little bit of disruption. And that's the only thing I can do to keep myself safe. And what ends up happening sometimes is like how that plays out. What a, a way that it can play out is that sometimes that ends up being a wake-up call for the other person. You know, it's literally like, behold, the consequences of my own actions. Um, you know, like <laughs> they suddenly kind of get struck and hit with like, oh, like I can't just keep showing up in these wounded ways and expect nothing to ever reverb back at me. Like um, not saying that everybody gets the wake up call and changes their behaviors um, and it's it's difficult to acknowledge that on your path to healing, you had people in your life that were that like wake up call person mm -hmm. for you. It's possible that there are relationships that can't ever really be recouped or yeah. rekindled mm -hmm. as a result of the ways that you hurt them. And they sort of became 
collateral damage on the on your path to healing and that's really hard to like sit with and be like whoa like there's people that i like literally really hurt and that's part of their story now and it's part of my story and closure doesn't always look like reconciliation sometimes it just looks like acknowledgement and giving that person the respect of carrying on their story in a way that allows them to go on healing without you in the picture even if you heal Mm. even if you have changed and you come back to them and you're like no i swear i'm different now like can't you can't we try again can't we do this then it's like you have to accept sometimes your actions caused enough of a rift that there isn't a way to recoup it um and that doesn't mean that you personally healing your behaviors is a worthless endeavor. <laughs> no, because this means like now in your new relationships, right. you're going to show up in a much healthier way and you're not going to hurt any new people in your life. Well, you're hopefully, you know, like you, well, yeah. in whatever lessons you're learning, like you're going to show up differently in those ways and, you know, hopefully not make the same exact mistakes to other people. Well, I think about this, if I was going to come up with an example really quick, like I think about this in like the like substance use disorder community where people who have radically shifted the way they show up to their relationships, they have been, you know, in control of the substance use or without the substance use for like, let's say, I don't know, years. Mm -hmm. And they go back and they say something like, hey, you know, I know you know, early 20s was really rough for us and I made some poor decisions for our friendship and I'm just reaching back out. And it, it, it it's easy for us to sit here and be like, kind of like play the story out. Like, and then they reach back out and they say, yeah, everything's okay and you're fine. And like, they feel all of a sudden like randomly safe with you again, right? If you've spent, you know, years lying to them or stealing their money or doing things that really you weren't proud of, right? And if you come back and you're like, can you give me an opportunity to show you that I've genuinely worked on myself for like five years and I I really, really do value our friendship and I want us to possibly get to a place where we can, you know, get to know each other in a new way. CA is talking about this idea of like, some like it's not our choice it's not our choice even though we're proving it through the way we've shown up to the healing process in our life it's not our choice to force a sense of safety that hasn't been built there's mm-hmm. no foundation mm-hmm. so like it is their choice to say i'm willing to make a risk or take a risk yeah. or i'm willing to go back into that dynamic. And you know what? Some people aren't. Some people aren't willing to go back. And that is kind of part of the pain of healing Mm -hmm. is that the pain of healing is not just looking forward, but it's also acknowledging the path behind you and then understanding that, yes, your journey might be like filled with like really nourishing relationships ahead of you and you might not be able to completely do damage control because there's autonomous people on the other side of those relationships. Right. Yeah. People don't owe 
a second chance sometimes or 10th or 50th, <laughs> like whatever it is in the situation, um, you are not owed that. It's even, even as you have changed and even if are super sincere, um, that's what's hard is like respecting that other party enough to go, okay, it's, it is what it, like, I don't expect you to have to be friends with me again. Like I, I, I figured I would try. Um, and my door is always open if you ever change your mind. Like sometimes that's the best we can get is just to say that right. and say, okay, I respect you. You, you deserve your peace. And thanks for hearing me out. Um, my door is open if you ever change your mind in the future. They might and they might not. And that's a difficult dynamic, but it's one that sometimes happens. Right. Do we want to open up for questions? Yeah. So I know we have some people. Let me look on the other. So we have multiple. Right. We have some screens going. So if you guys have any questions, just throw them up. But the thing is, is we are going to try to keep this to like a tight hour. Yeah, we've got oh, about nine minutes on the clock. Yeah, so we have something coming in. Can you give us some examples of responses after making a mistake and repair and then repeating the mistake again? So like mm-hmm. what would the response be in an interchange? So yeah, so yeah. what would be another – so we've made a mistake, we've repaired it, and then you went and made that mistake again. Now you're coming to me again with that mistake. Okay. How would that look? So – The tricky part here is what we want to do, I think the most hope that you could instill in a relationship if you showed up in a similar way would either be that you have understood another facet of where that came from or you acknowledge that maybe, right? So this is, this is that, that twofold thing. Okay. So Let's use – do you want to use the example of lying, I guess, if I use the mm, example Yeah, we'll just stick with the same. So like of. if I was lying and then I had the conversation with CA and then I came back and I lied again. Instilling hope that there is actually progress would be explaining the progress of possibly what happened mm-hmm. this, time this time around. around. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for example, it might be like the first time I might just be like, CA, I was just like really panicking and I lied and, you know, I know – sucks but whatever right and then i and then i say like i'm working on it Trying okay to and do it CA, again. yeah and i have that conversation and then if i end up lying again and you are like hey jamie you know and and my hope is that i would actually come to her and be mm-hmm. like you know i just need to be honest like i ended up lying about that that saturday that i said i wasn't available or something if you would come to the relationship with like newer information that can be a pretty big game changer. For for example, I'm going to show CA this example, okay? So I lied about Saturday and I'm starting to sit with a little bit. I'm sit, sitting with it longer and I'm noticing it might not be more of my panic and and it actually might be more related to me feeling like I can't say no to you. So it's easier for me to lie to you. So when you asked me a question, you know, initially I thought it was panic, but I noticed I didn't really have panic when I lied that last time. And when I sat with it longer, because I was really mad that I lied, I was not happy that I lied to you, I realized I genuinely get nervous saying no to you. So here's why I'm showing this to you guys. Why this can be incredibly powerful is that, yeah, I I literally showed up to the pattern in a very similar way, 
but I was able to sit with it longer and got more information for the relationship because now CA can sit with that and be like, well, not, not that this is her responsibility, right, but, but genuinely mm-hmm. you can be like, that's something I need to know. Like, I need to know that you genuinely like mm-hmm. have this th- this response when I request something of mm-hmm. you, right? And so this is not me saying it's her responsibility now. Right. It's more me saying I've actually unlocked a layer mm-hmm. to why the lying is happening. And then on my end, um, I think this is what's important. If you're on the receiving end of somebody's repeat mistake, knowing your like emotional rights in the relationship is really important. So I would say something along the lines of like, I'm really glad that you were able to analyze that. And like, it's, you know, thank you for sharing like the layers that you're finding. Obviously, I can see that it's important to you to keep working on that. Like you don't want to be lying to me. And I am wounded a little bit. Like I'm, I'm hurt that you lied to me again. I can see that you don't want to be doing that. And I also in the future, like I might be now having anxiety around mm-hmm. the things that you say to me. Like right. I need you to know that now. Like I am going to potentially be showing up to some of our exchanges with anxiety now. Right. Because like I want to trust you and I hear you that you're working on it, but I need you to know that like ooh, it might sometimes like I might now be like prompting you for more clarity. Mm. And so like when you see my change of behavior, right now you're going to know like this is coming from a place of I just now I'm going to need a little bit more assurances because of this becoming a pattern at this point. Right, right. And I think like if I was going to ask anything of CA, it would say something like, well, I'm really struggling with saying no. And I realize it's not just you. It's actually most of my relationships. Mm -hmm. So because this is a pretty safe relationship, do you mind us practicing that? So it would be something like asking her to say, like, if you have a request, like, do you mind like having and maybe like an Mm -hmm. additional layer of the conversation being Mm -hmm. like, you asking me like, hey, can you come, you know, pick up the groceries with me, you know, Mm -hmm. for the party or something? Maybe saying like, just checking in that you can feel free to answer that question. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say, you can say no. You can just say, Mm -hmm. just take a moment to see like if you feel okay like answering that request Mm -hmm. that I just asked you. Because this is actually, I mean, this is like layered people pleasing, but like if I genuinely feel like I can't say no to her and she gave me no reason to fear her, this is a generalized concept that I'm working on. And so what I actually encourage people to do is I say, practice in the safety of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like if CA is like, Jamie, like you're, you're, you actually lie to me for no reason because I don't I'm give you a reason that way. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Like if she, if there's no reason for me because she doesn't create any like, you know, fear or any like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And it is a safe place. That would be a conversation mm-hmm. to have, like saying mm-hmm. something like I, I'm working on saying no. And even in my safest dynamics. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And that shows up as a lie. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so now because I'm trying to actively change the behavior Mm -hmm. and I don't want to keep lying to you, Mm -hmm. what I'm wondering is like trying to practice that and and not putting the task. It's not putting – but it's like if it's a relationship that's worth preserving and both people still feel committed to working on improving that relationship, that's a practice that increases trust in both 
people because it's literally from my perspective, I'm like literally watching you do the work in real time because you're doing the work with me. Like I'm, I'm helping you through the work of like overcoming this knee-jerk reaction of lying. So like I see, oh, wow, like this person's really showing up to change this behavior. Like right. they're, they're practicing this skill actively. actively, And it cr- increases trust in you because now as you practice that skill with me, right. like we're creating more of like that sense of safety for you. And you're right. like, oh, okay, like right. this is a safe person. Like I don't need to be. Yeah. So when whatever. she asked me about the groceries, it might look like me saying – Instead of an immediate lie, like, oh, I can't because I have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. I would say something like, I feel like I can't say. And then you would be like, Jamie, right? because we right. talked about this. Right. Like, it's important for yeah. you to actually sit with, mm-hmm. like, what you need in this situation because mm-hmm. I'm not threatening you. Sure. I am not saying, like, you're a terrible friend if you don't go get the groceries mm-hmm. with me. I'm not telling you that you're a piece of crap and you, mm-hmm. you're worthless if you don't do this with me. I'm right. safe. Okay, so because you're really doing that now, Mm -hmm. generalize to every relationship, and you don't practice with the safest person in your life. Yeah, this isn't gonna change. This is like I call it, um, like sports casting your like internal thought processes. It's like an actual skill that is really good for like when you're actively working on changing a behavior of the way that you behave or speak to sports cast the old pattern as it shows up, like what she just said, like, so if you get hit with that feeling to literally out loud, be like, Ooh, I'm having that feeling where I feel like I can't say no. Mm-hmm. And literally just speak it out loud into the air. And then now like that other party is able to interchange with you and be like, Oh, okay. Oh, so like, this, this is, is how it, it shows up. This is up. why you lie this right now. This is how it shows right. up. Wow. That's so interesting because like you're you don't have to do this, you know? And then now we can move forward and like kind of like have a clarifying conversation. Right. But see, all of that came out because we were both willing to like honor the pain that was previously occurring with the unaddressed traumatized brain of people pleasing and having to show up and lying, Mm -hmm. right? So if I just like bypassed her and said, well, you just have to get used to me lying and you were like, okay, then I'll just endure you lying all the time and that's fine. Then we never realize the dynamic that's underneath our relationship and we don't get to actually mend Mm -hmm. the things that are continuing to break the relationship down. Right. So that's just a good, um, Ooh, sorry. That's just a good example. Um, we do have to hop off in like a second, but I thought I saw a few, a few more things. You see anything else? Can you give a possible response to a parent who will not, likely not, capable of validating the trauma? Yeah. So this is – okay. So like you come to your parents with, hey, remember when I was 12 and you literally made me walk to school like that? And then they're going to sit there and they're just not going to be able to validate that as traumatic. They're going to be like, okay, like, yeah, I remember doing that, but like what's the big deal, right? They're going to invalidate the fact that it was traumatizing for you. Now – how do you respond is what they're asking for. Okay. So what you would say, this is what's difficult is because it depends on the value you place on the relationship. This is is always where Jamie and I like try to like gauge and this, it's a hard to give generalized answers to, because this is like when we would work with an individual person, I would, I would try to gauge, okay, like talk to me about how valuable, (laughs) um, like how do you want the relationship with your parent to look 
is going to inform how you respond to something like this. Can I pause you for a second? Yep. That dynamic right there, I need to pause you because many people say, I want the relationship to look literally like a manufactured fantasy that they previously created. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's why I paused mm -hmm. her because they're telling me, I want it to look like some nostalgic version of what you mm -hmm. thought you wanted it mm -hmm. to be. And I, I have to stop people there and I say, well, but what is it? What is it right what is it now? Capable of being? No, but yeah. what it's capable, but what is it right now? Like not the fantasy role. Like yeah. I want us to have a cottage together and I want us to have a lake house. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. it's the projected fake reality. But I'm like, no, no, no. But what, it, what skills are right now present mm -hmm. in the relationship? Like what are they showing up right now in the relationship? Because that's what we need to take into account. And we have to understand that that current self is based from patterns Mm -hmm. from previous patterns, okay? So you cannot – it's that classic for intimate partnerships. You can't fall in love with the potential of somebody. Exactly. Yeah. So I think getting back to the, yeah, so, the yeah. response is um, what, what what's important to do is going into those exchanges. I think we kind of mentioned this earlier, being really convicted in your perspective and your understanding of the dynamic and of the like interchange that you're about to have. So that when you receive that pushback, you're able to stay really grounded and steady in your truth. And you're able to say, okay, it seems as though you are not able to hear that this was traumatizing for me. And I'm going to say this again to you. That experience was deeply traumatizing to me and I am still dealing with the effects of it. I want to feel safe to share my truth with you on topics like this. And right now you are not making me feel safe to be able to do that. And that literally is putting the ball back in their court to sit there and decide that's now on them to decide, am I going to continue invalidating my child? Am I going to continue saying, don't care, don't want to hear it, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that there, there come the consequences of your own actions. Eventually that is going to lead to, that kids no, then you're going to sit there and you're going to go, if you continue to respond to me in these ways, I really, truly will not be able to be safe to have deep conversations with you. And the way our relationship looks is going to look very shallow because of that, because yeah. of your actions. If you refuse to make me feel safe about talking about things that are important to me, then our relationship is going to go on a different trajectory. It's going to become shallow and maybe, you know, one one FaceTime a, a month or something like I, I this is what's going to happen, you know, and it's just kind of and we can go on from there. But uh, it's yeah, I mean, well, that's that's why I think I point out the gaslighting behind this this behavior. OK, because if I sit there and say, well, that's not traumatic or that's dumb or that's you overthinking or you need to get over that. That was 20 years ago. Right. And then you say, well, I hear that you're not like absorbing the impact and the effect that that had, the implications of what that experience had on me. I'm, I'm hearing that you don't see that as valuable, right? And they say something like, well, we can't all think like you and we can't all, you know, be all dramatic like you, Jamie, right? And they, they continue to invalidate. That gaslighting comes in when they say something to, let's say, the external like, 
oh, I've tried with that girl. Like I've had conversations with her and she just wants to dive into every little problem and I can't do that. She's exhausting, right? And then they tell their peers or their like, you know, you know, extended family, they say, you know, she's just, she's just too much. She's just too demanding. She's always been demanding ever since she was five. She's so demanding. She requires too much of me. Even now as an adult, she asks me to show up and it's absurd, right? Okay. This is the gaslighting because now she's saying she or he or whatever, whoever the dynamic is, they're literally telling you, I'm not willing to put in the effort. And then they gaslight you making you feel as though your request for them to show up to their side of the relationship is absurd. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So when you're asking for the response, the response would be acknowledging the dynamic and how much work you're willing to put into it. And then also the self-advocacy piece. And that's why we're, I think we'll probably end on this. The Mm -hmm. self-advocacy piece of literally becoming deeply rooted and safe in your body and your processing. And the safer you become, the more unshakable you become. Yeah. Okay. So if I look at anybody and I tell them, this is, you know, some of you guys know my story. Like I have a lot of religious trauma and I look at them and I say like, that was traumatic. And someone looks at me, close friends, this has happened to me. People say, well, I was in a similar situation and I didn't have trauma. And I say, yes, and that's valid on your end. And my experience of that similar situation was incredibly traumatic. And that is the kicker. I am developing a conviction skill Mm -hmm. behind how many wounds occurred. And regardless of other people's experience, even if they were in the same room as me, CA and I have been friends for over 20 years. We have had many experiences, some I have had that are more traumatic and she's been in the exact same room. And she looks at me. She doesn't get to say that though. And I mean, she could say it to me, but in my own internalized absorption of it, she doesn't get to dictate the exact same scenario. She was sitting in the exact same room hearing the exact same lecture and I was absorbing it in Mm. such a visceral part of my psyche that it was changing neural pathways. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I sit there and I go, she doesn't get to tell me, Mm -hmm. well, I was sitting next to you and them talking about that purity talk was, didn't even like hit a nerve at all. Right. And I go for you, CA, like Mm -hmm. for you. This person talking about how siblings come out so differently. That's such a great example. It's such a great example. Exactly. When you process childhood memories with your siblings and you realize like how certain things were very traumatic for like one or a couple. And then like the other siblings were like, oh, I like literally didn't even register that that experience happened. Like that's That's such a good example of this. Like how like information, like data comes into different people's psyches in such different ways. Exactly. Which is why we say there's no trauma hierarchy. Like There's there's no trauma hierarchy and there's no trauma in the, okay, I shouldn't say no trauma. There is, the trauma isn't typically found in the incident. Okay. It's not in the we were attending a a lecture. Mm -hmm. It's not the lecture. It's the processing 
of that lecture mm-hmm. that is actually causing the pain. And so, for example, this is where people like to put it on the quote unquote victim and they're going, it's not my problem. You absorbed that as traumatic. And I'm like, what was the theme? Was the theme robbing women of their autonomy? Was the theme like, right? And so for some, when CA might have been like in a mood where she was just like sitting there singing some freaking Blink-182 song or something. Like she might have not even been Very focusing. Likely. Right. Yeah. Her punk her punk days. She, she can we say Blink-182? We might have to clip that part out. Um, but like yeah. some punk, I don't know. I don't know. Like, okay. So the punk, the punk band songs. Okay. And so she might be sitting there and like, having that on repeat during the lecture. And I might be literally lingering on every single word that person says. And I think I have to change every way I dress. I have to change every position I put in. Me and Sammy had a joke. When we were in like hyper, hyper religious religiosity, we would have to like literally cover every inch of our body without like, or we'd be panicky because Mm -hmm. we'd be scared we're leading someone to hell. Okay. So this is what I mean by like me hanging on to every single word. You can sit there and blame the victim and be like, it's not my problem that you, like you heard that as traumatic. But I like, I look back and I go, what was the theme that you were putting out into the world? Were you putting out that like, I'm not safe in my own body? Were you putting out that you're abandoned as a child? Like, I'm never going to help you. Sorry. Like, you don't get any assistance, right? So I'm getting this theme of like, I'm on my own. I'm not safe in my body. I don't get this stuff, right? Oh, sorry. We could we could be done. So we're going to uh, wrap it up, Yeah, guys. we're going to wrap it up. But, um, but yeah, that's basically the point. That's the point we wanted to make. And we can't take any more questions. I'm really sorry. But um, we have to go because we are getting scooted out of the live. So uh, thank you so much, you for listening, so much guys. We really appreciate you. And thank you guys for listening on the podcast. Um, we will see you next time. Thank you for this amazing conversation. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at The Unlearned Podcast or our individual Instagrams at Recollected Self and CAs is at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work